You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, you certainly are. Drill rig operators are an integral part of the team in an open cut pit. Lawrence Watson has been in the game for a decade. He started his career at an Australia Day barbecue in 2012 near Singleton in the Hunter Valley. I was a chippy at that point and everyone always wants a job in the mines. I hit a bloke up and he just said, yeah, um, come to Bogabra, start next week. I ended up having a couple of weeks off, finished the carpentry job I was working on and started in Bogabri on Valentine's Day 2012. So I had a very romantic Valentine's Day in Bogabri. Spent about six and a half years working in Boggy. I ended up transferring down to Mount Arthur, BHP. I spent about 18 months in BHP and then ended up jumping over the border to the south to Mount Arthur South. And I've been there for four years. So, Lawrence's love affair with drilling started on Valentine's Day 2012. And what a romance it's been since. But what exactly does a driller do at an open-cut mine? Due to the incredible size, the drills are mounted on tracks, just like a digger or dozer, or a tank. Range in size from about five and a half to six metres wide and 12 to 15 metres long. So roughly the size of a double-decker bus and can stand anywhere from 20 to 25 metres depending on the model of the drill. These drills have a massive 27-litre V12 diesel engine. In comparison, your V8 Land Cruisers, they got about a 4.2 to 4.5-litre V8 engine in them. That engine then goes on to power a massive air compressor. We use the air to blow the dirt out of the hole as you drilling it and the engine also helps power a series of hydraulic pumps the hydraulic pumps are then what help the drill to do its job blast hole drills can drill holes anywhere from one meter up to about 60 to 70 meters deep depending on the size of the machines the pit has to dig the dirt out and the hole size will vary from 150 mils of 15 centimeters to up to as big as 300 mil 30 centimeters in diameter The holes are drilled in rows, like you might dig little holes to put seedlings in when you're gardening. Once we're finished drilling the holes, the holes will be dipped, check all their depths, the information then goes to the engineers. Engineers will work their magic and figure out how much bomb to use, and how they want to load and fire the shot. That information is then passed on to the shotties. Shotties come along and do all the hard yards of loading the bomb in the ground and then the gravel, tying all in. And then they get the fun part of blowing it up. Once it's blown up, the digger will come along and uh, dig the dirt out, load it all into trucks. Truckies will take the dirt away and then eventually we get down to the coal and, yeah, that's where we make our money. Lawrence describes the layers he has to drill through to get to that pay dirt. So you'll start up on the topsoil or natural surface, which is nice and soft. That only lasts for a bit, a little bit. So anyone will know as a kid digging in the backyard when you tell mum and dad that you're digging a hole and dad says, oh, you keep digging, you'll dig to China. Well, you only get about a metre or two down, starts to hit the clay, it gets a bit harder, but then you get another few metres down, you'll start to hit solid rock. So anywhere from there, like the, the pit I work at, I think at the moment we're about 200 metres below natural surface, so so you go from the nice soft dirt and then a bit of clay and then it gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder again, then you might just all of a sudden hit a soft spot, 
or a void, you might end up drilling a hole, you get 10 metres down and there's just nothing. Big hole in the earth, big gap, and then yeah, it goes harder again and then softer and then you'll hit this really soft stuff. That's called the coal. So when you're drilling away, it'll be making noises and pumping away and working and then suddenly you'll hear the, the engine will sort of ease back a bit as it hits the coal because it's a lot softer. So that's, uh, that's the magic stuff we're after. So once we hit the coal, we're going to stop because we don't want to blow that up. As I said, that's where we make our money. Obviously, drillers have to manually drive the drill through the different layers using all their senses, watching, listening, feeling the vibrations, even smelling. I asked Lawrence to walk me through a typical drill starting at the surface. I'll put the drill to zero, start counting, slowly start drilling the start of the hole. And as I get about two, three metres in, it'll get a bit quicker, go a bit harder. And then the whole time I'm watching the drill, listening to the engine, listening to the sound of the pumps moving, watching the dust coming out and watching my depth to see how far I'm drilling down. If I hit a soft spot, I've sort of got to like pull back on the ease off on the accelerator a bit. If I hit hard stuff, I'll sort of push down, like put your foot on the accelerator a little bit more to get through. And then when I get to the correct depth, then I'll stop the drill, reverse everything, pull it back out, slow it down, turn the air off. When it comes to the autonomous side of it, it's all done by a computer. So as I said, like your, like your Tesla cars, I'll turn the engine on in the morning and then we've got a, a office up the top where we'll go sit in there once the engine's running and I'll just sit on the computer and sort of push a couple of buttons and press start and that drill will do everything. It'll take the drill bit to the ground, start at zero metres, turn the air on, start rotating the drill bit, start pushing the drill bit down and you know if it hits a bit hits that two meters it'll go a bit harder if it hits a soft spot it'll slow down if it gets bogged it'll pull itself back out anything that can or does go wrong the autonomous side of it the computers they seem to know nearly nearly everything what to do In the last couple of years, Lawrence has been part of the trial of automatic drills. So how's an autonomous drill different? What does it even look like? They've got, uh, I think, about a 10, 12 cameras on all different sides and all different spots to give you, give you the operator's perspective when you're up the top. And then we've got, um, oh, I guess you'd call them like radar detectors on the outside of the drill to let you know if there's a, a person or a car or a rock or something in the way. You lose that human interaction, that feel in the cab, but they've tried their best to replicate it with the, the cameras and the sensors. And then there is a, a microphone on the drill to try and allow you to hear it, but yeah, it's not the same. The 35-year-old father of one explains it took a long time for the autonomous drill to learn how to drill. So we started out with fully manned operation. So you know, like every bit of machinery in the pit, the operator will go down, start the machine and sit in it for yeah, 12 hours a day. Uh, next stage we went to auto drill. So you'd still sit in the rig and man it, but operator would tram between each hole and then you just have to push a button and the auto drill itself would drill the hole, pull the rod back out of the ground and then as the operator you move to the next hole. Stage two after that, as the technology improved, you could pick 10, 15 holes in a row. 
So you'd still have to operate the machine manned, sit in the cab, but then you'd use the autonomous screen, pick 15 holes, press start, the drill would drill the hole itself, move to the next one and set up. Where we're at now, I don't even need to go out in the pit. So I can get to work and up the top we have a room in the offices, I'll go in there and from there I can start the drill, select my holes, I've got cameras and security systems and other bits and pieces that watch the drill and take care of it. I can be 10, 15 k's away in an office up top operating the drill from there and can do for a 12, 12 and a half hour shift. The machine itself still amazes him. From spending near 10 years operating a drill myself to then suddenly sitting back watching a computer do my job for me, it was quite literally mind-blowing. Still is some days, even when we have new people start on site, they'll come in for a look in the office and go, so you're operating a drill, but you're sitting in the office up here and you're not in the pit. It's, uh, it's come a long way. Um, as far as the computer brains on it, there's a, a lot of computer software in it that I honestly don't understand. There's countless people in the backgrounds that have been building these computer systems and writing programs for years. There's a, a lot of brains and a lot of intelligence that have gone into this. That yeah, Still to this day, mate, it's been over two and a half years autonomous and it still blows my mind hearing about how they build it and how they're still designing it and making it better. But it wasn't harmonious from day one. Mate, when we first started, there were points there where you'd, you'd drill for not even two or three minutes and it'd stop, but it'd just have something go wrong or something would confuse it. Um, as the as the software's got better, it, mate, you can get anywhere two, three, four hours now. It'll run flawlessly, seamlessly and not have an issue. But no matter how good the machines get, they can never replace the sixth sense of a human operator. There's one bloke in particular that I, that I work with that I'm quite close with. He's got about 20, 25 years drilling experience. I think he's at the point where within about half a second sitting in the machine, he can hear and feel and know exactly what that machine is doing and it's about to do if something's about to go wrong. He'll go, oh, this is going to happen. I've experienced it firsthand with him where sitting in that office up the top away from the drill, he just says, this is, this is impossible. I can't feel anything. I don't know what it's doing. I can't hear it. How am I supposed to know what's going on? It presents a whole new training system that operators need to do to redevelop that sixth sense that you get from sitting in the machine. But given all experienced operators on site gain this sixth sense, Perhaps it'll be the same for autonomous machines as well. There's a, there's a truck trainer on site. I was in a car with him the other day, driving out the crib, and he just said to me, that truck's in third gear, going down the hill loaded. I said, how can you tell that? He goes, I can hear it. He just he just knew. He could hear the sound of the engine, sound of the truck. He knew that was truck was in the wrong gear. Same with your dozer operas, mate. Like, dozers will be, say, ripping rock on a coal bench, and suddenly they'll know that their rippers a bit low, they're in the coal, or if they're pushing a bit of dirt, they'll hear or feel the machine and go, oh, my blade's a bit low, I'm in coal there, I better lift up. Or when they're ripping the coal, they'll feel they get a bit low in the rock because it sounds different or feels different. So, yeah, I think any any miner will get a feel, any, any operator will get a feel for their machine, whether it be coal mining or on the road or a taxi driver driving his car or a truck driver on the road. Lawrence is just glad to have the chance to learn new skills. It's been a new and exciting experience for me. 
and especially coming from the, the ground up, like this is a, a very new technology that we're working with. I've been very, very lucky in, to be involved in this process. So I'm, I'm very happy to be involved in it. Look forward to where it's going to go in the future. There you go. But before you do go, we might just pump up our own tyres on the podcast because Lawrence is actually a big listener. Now, just for market research purposes, I asked him which episodes of the podcast he likes best. Well, I've been an avid listener since day one. And, um, the podcast actually appeared on Spotify for me not long after I put my hand up to be a delegate. And one of the very early episodes you did was how EA agreements are made which was, again, it was eye-opening for me. It was all something new and exciting that I was getting involved in, being a part of the, or being a bigger part of the union. And, yeah, the, the podcast come along and suddenly had an episode on how EAs are made. It's explained things uh, very simply for me, which made it easier to understand. And then there's a couple of other episodes, like the dragline and longwall operator. They're two things. I've, I've never been in a dragline, never seen a working dragline, and I've never been underground. So those two episodes... Gave me a very nice and easy to understand insight into what it's like for those two sides of the industry. And then even as recently as you, um, same job, same pay. It's a, yeah, there's a lot to understand in there and the, the episodes you've done on that so far have been, made it a lot easier for me to understand. And then when people come to me as a delegate asking questions about it, I'm so oh, actually I heard on the podcast that yeah, this is, this is what's happening. This is how it works. It's, yeah, it's helped me in a, a grand variety of things listening to these episodes. It's always good to get a bit of positive feedback. That's all for this episode. Talk to you next month. You've been listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast, bringing you news, investigations, history and interviews to empower mining and energy workers. Subscribe for monthly episodes via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.